Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Let's uh, go to Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, we want to look at verse 22. We want to continue with this that we have been on. Let us draw near. This is our our eighth installment of this. And uh, we've been looking at some things uh, concerning maturity, spiritual growth, uh, just being spiritual. You know, the goal of the Christian life is growth. Uh, The goal of the the Christian life is maturity. It's to grow up. And uh, this is so important because uh, what we have a lot of times in in the body of Christ is we have immature believers. And we have immature believers because for the last 25, 30 years, there's been a drought of doctrine in the church. There's been a lot of inspiration. There's been a lot of, uh, uh, I I hate to use this word because it's it's valid in the scripture. We've had a lot of preaching in the local church, right? We've had a lot of celebrities, but we haven't had a lot of teaching doctrine. Hallelujah. Preaching, preaching. Preaching moves you to action. Teaching grounds you and matures you. Amen. For instance, if, 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 if you've raised kids or you have kids at home, you know, if, uh, uh, for instance, the other day, Lily, they had 101st day of school. So it was Dalmatian day. You know, 101 Dalmatians. And so, we, you know, we made her a, a little shirt, got her a, a white sparkly shirt. It's got to have sparkles. If it's not pink, it's got to sparkle, okay? And, and so we got some black duct, duct tape and cut out spots out of the black duct tape and put it on the shirt, right? And, 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 but here's the thing. Mommy went to get her up in the morning. You know, Mommy's Pastor Michelle. And she went to get her up, and uh, 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 she was still asleep. She was so cute, and she just started patting her and singing to her and waking her up. And Lily woke up and stretched, and she's like, today is Dalmatian party. Everything changed. The whole atmosphere changed. I'm not sleepy. I'm not tired. I'm prompted. I'm moved to action. Right? So she got up, put the shirt on. We put a, a, a nose on her, you know, colored her nose and a ring around her eye. And, oh, she was just so excited. Well, you know, if, if, if you've raised kids and you're going on a vacation, boy, the, the week leading up, you're moving them to action. We're going to go to Disney World. We're going to go to Universal. It's going to be exciting. And they're so excited the night before they can't sleep. They're just, oh, <laughs> Right? But then you got to travel to get there. Get on the plane. Get in the car. <laughs> right? Then you got to bring the teaching in. Well, it's going to be three or four hours. You got to be patient. What, what, what does that mean? You got to grow up. 
that there's some things you got to wait on. We're going there, but there's some maturity that comes with that. And you are excited to go too, but you're an adult. And you understand the things you got to walk through to get there. Amen. Do you, do you see this? And so some make light of teaching doctrine. Yet in the Pauline epistles, Paul referred to doctrine 21 times. 21 times. Primarily in the pastoral epistles, 16 times. And there's only two pastoral epistles. Well, three, but one written to Timothy and one written to Titus. First, second Timothy and Titus. 16 times he referred to doctrine. And in many of those instances, he said, and tell them they're not to preach any other doctrine than this. See, you'll hear preachers say, well, we're never going to be united in doctrine. We'll be united in the faith, but not in the doctrine. That's funny. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there's one doctrine. Read the book of Acts. It, what does it say they continued, that they continued steadfastly in? The doctrine of the apostles. Is that right? I'm not talking about my doctrine. I'm talking about the doctrine of the word. And so Hebrews chapter 10, good doctrine, sound doctrine is what will produce growth. So Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22, notice what it says, the first part of that. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So he says to draw near, which means to be near, to draw near, to worship. And so our growth, our spirituality, our maturity, those are all key factors in our drawing near. All right, the more you grow, the closer you'll want to be. Immature, unspiritual believers are satisfied to have an arm's length relationship with the Father. A mature believer desires the nearness that only comes with spiritual maturity. Amen. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. This is where we'll begin. Because this is so key in uh, our maturing. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. And he says, I pray, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. The key word there is holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy, completely. The Roos Bible says, every part of every one of you. So that means that I have different parts. Not just arms, legs, ears, eyes, and nose. I have different parts. I have different parts. I am a spirit, I possess a soul, and I live in a body. But I am a spirit, and I live in a body. But between that spirit and body is my soul. My mind, my will, my emotions, my chooser, my thinker, where I make my decisions. Salvation in the scripture is in three tenses. Past. What Jesus did for us. You were born again. You were brought into the kingdom of God. Right? He did those things for you. When you got born again, you were 100% completely saved in your spirit and made a new creature. 
But then the scripture says there's an ongoing process of salvation. Your mind didn't get saved. Your body didn't get saved. Your emotions did not get saved. That's something I have to do something about. And then the Bible says that the day's coming when your body will be completely redeemed. It'll be glorified. It'll be, it'll be made perfect. Aren't you ready for that day? <laughs> but my point is three tenses. Why is that important? Because there are people that you know and I know as believers, their salvation has never affected anything but their spirit. And they live a carnal Christian life. Because they're saved in their spirit and they've never let it affect any other part of them. And that's why they still deal with the same things they deal with. I've had people ask me before, somebody would sin or, or do something carnal, and they'd say, well, is that person saved? Well, yeah, I believe they're saved. I believe they're, they're living a carnal life. Amen. Amen. I won't take the time to go there. You know the verse. Paul wrote to two different, or well, I, the writer of Hebrews and the Apostle Paul, let's put it that way for the sake of argument. They wrote to two different churches, the Hebrews and the Corinthians, to believers. He called them brethren, and he said, you're carnal. And he said to the Corinthians, how do we know you're carnal? Because there's envying and strife and division among you. Are you not carnal and behaving as an unsaved person would? Is that right? And then he wrote to the Hebrews and he said, you're carnal. How did we know they were carnal? You're not growing. You ought to be teaching people and you need somebody to come back and teach you the elementary things of God. Is that what he said? So we see these, these, these illustrations of carnality and one is you're acting like unsaved people and the other one is you're not growing. You ought to be teaching people and you still need somebody to teach you. You see what I'm saying? What, what was the problem? Were they not born again? No, he called them brethren. In the Corinthian church, they were operating in the gifts of the Spirit. They had so much operation of the gifts of the Spirit that Paul had to give an etiquette for how the Holy Spirit was to operate. Amen. And people would look at that and say, Whoo, they're spiritual. No, they're operating in the things of the Spirit, but Paul said they were carnal. It's possible to operate at a certain level of the Spirit and still be carnal. Because how do those gifts operate? What's the Bible say? It says they're divided to each man severally as the Holy Spirit wills. Is that right? Well, the Holy Spirit wouldn't use a carnal person. Well, he's used you before when you were carnal. He's used me before when I was carnal. And if you say you're not, you, you've never been carnal, you just lied so we know better. Everybody has been carnal. Everybody has been, as Brother Copeland says, a meathead. But here, here's the point. What, what do I have to do about that? We're going to get into that. So my spirit is completely born again. Sealed system, perfect. Your spirit is perfect. 
Your body will only do what the soul tells it to do. When people say, well, you know, the flesh, they talk about this body, this carrying case. The flesh from Scripture, the more you study salvation, you'll find out that the flesh in Scripture is more a reference to your mind, will, and emotions than this body. Because this body just carries you around. This body will not sin on its own. Because the Bible says in the book of James, as the, spirit, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. You take the spirit out of this body, regenerated spirit that we have, or dead spirit that the world has, and this body falls over dead. Your body has never done anything that you didn't give it permission to do. Born again or not born again. Amen. Well, I didn't mean to yell at that person. Yes, you did. Because well, how do you know? Because you did it. Well, that was just the flesh. That was just an unrenewed mind. See, this, this, this is where we have to grow. The flesh just didn't jump out there and chew somebody out. You had to think about it. You may not have thought about it very long, but you had to think about it. I've had people say, well, I did that without thinking. No, you didn't. You gave some thought to it because you had to plan it. That's how we grow. And so you have people with an unrenewed mind or their salvation hasn't affected their soul and then they want to step out and believe God or step out and, and do something and they can't do it because their soul keeps sabotaging them. Amen. Am I helping you? So he said he wants that Every part of each one of you sanctified, consecrated, set apart for the master's use. Now see, that, that brings in this idea that there's something I've got to do. Only God can make you what you ought to be, but only I can do what I've got to do. God will make you what you ought to be with your cooperation. When I was a boy growing up in church, you heard this a lot. Oh, brother, let go and let God. Well, that's not scriptural, though. The scriptural, to be correct spiritually, it's more get in there with God. Hallelujah. Do you see that? So important. Because what you don't help God with, God cannot pr produce in your life. There's something I have to do. How, do. Do you have a minute? This is a little side journey. Romans 12. Now, this is a familiar verse. But here's, here's what happens very often is, is uh, you know, we, we jump right to those verses. Yep, yep, yep. We're, you know, be renewed. You know, renew, and be, 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 by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But look at verse 1 of chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. The word beseech is always used in the context of beg, entreat, or implore. And notice, I beseech you, brethren. Brethren. By the mercies of God. Now, the mercies of God are everything that he talked about in chapters 1 through 11. 
The first part of Romans, he talks about justification by faith alone. The second part around verses uh, uh, four through, chapters 4 through 8, he talks about the dispensation of Israel and Israel being made blind all the way up through chapter 11. And then he gets here to verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, Brethren, in light of that, everything I've told you, I'm beseeching you, I'm begging you, I'm entreating you, I'm asking you that you present your bodies. Well, when you study that, it's the faculties that you present. Throughout the Septuagint, the, the Greek Old Testament, this word present is a reference to the presenting of the sacrificial lamb on the altar by the high priest. You present your bodies a living sacrifice. You do that. You follow me? So who does something about your faculties? You do. You present them to God. Sanctify you holy. Every part of each one of you. Right? The renewing of your mind follows your decision to renew it. I've got to make a decision to renew my mind. Right? And you remember we talked about how James said you do that? James chapter 1, he said, he said uh, uh, to, to, to desire the engrafted word that was able to save your souls. Is that what he said? He was talking to believers. First message we taught in this series, he was talking to believers and he said you need to have your soul saved. But they were believers. What was the problem? Their mind. The Bible says they were still talking wicked and still involved in moral dirtiness. And he said, here's what you need to do. You need to save your soul. You need to have your soul saved. How do I do that, James? By receiving the engrafted word. Right? And then he went on and he said, if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer only... He deceives himself. There are people that think if they just hear enough word, they'll renew their mind. You got to hear and do. Hear and do. That's why throughout the scripture, what do we see? Put away from you this. Put away lying. Put away this. Put off the old man. Be renewed in your mind. Put on the new man. Is that what it says? Well, who puts off? Who puts on? Who does the word? We do. So if you see an area in your life where your mind's out of control or your soul is not lining up with what the Spirit says and the word says, who yanks it under control of the word? You do. You do something about that. Right? Notice what he says here. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy... Now, I don't have time to, to stay with this, but that's not some external holiness. Amen. Amen. I was raised classic Pentecostal. When I say classic Pentecostal, I mean the, the denomination we were a part of, they came out of the United Pentecostal Church. UPC. Amen. 
I mean, we were Pentecostals of Pentecostals. Those of you that came out of the assemblies, you weren't Pentecostal. You were spirit-filled, but you weren't Pentecostal. Now, I say that jokingly. You understand what I mean? Because we were the united Pentecostal church. We did not wear makeup. Our ladies did not cut their hair or wear pants. We were holy externally. Externally. Now, I'm, I'm saying that for a reason. Externally. This is not what he's talking about. There was an external holiness there. We could tell you what we didn't do, but we probably couldn't tell you what we believed in. If somebody said, what do y'all believe in? We told them we couldn't go to the movies. We didn't have television in our house. We didn't go to dances. We didn't listen to country music, rock music, blues music, any music. Right? I, amen. We don't cut our hair. We don't wear makeup. We don't wear wedding rings. We don't wear tie clips. We wear no jewelry of any kind. Because we don't want anything to take away from the fact that we're holy. And I said this Wednesday night. Now that external holiness couldn't stop the preachers in that denomination from committing adultery. Because their mind wasn't renewed. You can come in this church in a burlap sack. Not having your hair done or colored or cut or any other thing for a year. No makeup. No jewelry. No tie clip. No in-style clothing. And that doesn't make you holy. It makes you ugly. Not holy. Amen. But you know somebody with an unrenewed mind. Right? So Paul says, you got to get past this external holiness... And you got to present yourself, the, the Old Testament says that you worship God in the beauty of holiness. Holiness is a beautiful thing. Holiness is a weapon against the things of the enemy. Holiness is this set-apartness for the things of God. I'm bringing my mind into control. I'm bringing my soul into control. And I am, I am setting myself apart for the things of God. Do you see this? And, and he says, then I will be not conformed to this world. So what does that tell me? What conforms to the world? My thinking. And my body follows my thinking. My spirit will never be conformed to this world because my spirit's of God. But my spirit can be muted by my soul. Because if the soul is left to just be in charge, the soul is where we make decisions, but it's not supposed to be in charge. My spirit is supposed to be in charge, influencing my soul. Do you see that? Hallelujah. Amen. For instance, for instance, when you look at the, uh, just some of the issues in America, and, and you look at the, the prejudice problem and the racism problem. And it is a problem. It's an issue. But you look at that. And folks, here's the issue. Protesting 
is not the issue. You cannot change somebody's thinking by protesting. You just set people at odds against one another. The thinking has to change. Amen. The thinking has to change. Does that make sense? And, and then what happens? Actions follow. Actions follow. It boggles people's mind when you look at them and say, well, I don't see color. I mean, am I wrong because I don't see color? Is that a problem? Well, you can't tell me you don't see color. Well, I can too. That doesn't mean that I don't, I don't, I don't look around here and, and, and see black people or white people or Hispanic folks. I do. I see the color of your skin, but I don't see it the way the world sees it. Because my mind's been renewed. I said, my mind's been renewed. Isn't that right? And when you start renewing people's mind, hallelujah, notice what happens. They're transformed. It's the Greek word metamorpho. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. But it, it, it's used in the transfiguration of Jesus. That Jesus was transfigured. Before his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, they saw Jesus in his glorified form. And the Bible doesn't say the glory was upon him. It says it shone out of him. So the goal is that we renew our mind to such a place that the glory of God begins to shine out of us to the world and they can see the glory out of us. Not just on us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now let's go over to Ephesians 4. This is where we'll start preaching. Teaching. <laughs> Hallelujah. Ephesians 4. And we'll read some familiar verses, but let's look at this. Verse 11. And he, Jesus, gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting. That word is a, a wonderful word. It means the equipping or for the equipping of the ministry. All right? Uh, equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now I want to focus in on this word perfect man. Perfect man. Because the word perfecting there, again, it means the equipping. So to give the equipment. But then he comes and he says that where the Spirit wants to take us is unto a perfect man. The word perfect basically means mature or full grown. The Woos Bible says to a spiritually mature man. That's the ultimate goal. Now, now think about this for a moment. So today in society, so much of the time, a church is picked by someone based on the worship, based on the entertainment value, based on what they have or don't have. And the Bible says the purpose for the church is to grow people up. Is that right? Now, we do things in quality and excellence to the best of our ability. We want to have quality uh, worship and, and, and programs. But here's the thing. The purpose for the church is for people to grow. 
And he says, unto a perfect man. So a large part of the work of the fivefold ministry is bringing believers to a place of spiritual maturity. The goal of the Christian life is progress, growth. I was talking to a person one time that was having trouble in, the, in their marriage. And, and, and I was talking to him about something, and well, about, about their marriage was the something. And my, my, my question to them was, do you want this to work? One of them said yes, and one of them said, well, I don't think so. Okay, well, just one working is not going to work. Well, what did I tell that person? You need to grow up. Because there's no, there's no grounds for divorce. Nobody's committed adultery. Nobody's abusing one another. There's nothing going on. There's no unbeliever departing. Right? You can't, uh, a mature person doesn't just throw the towel in and say, I'm done just because I don't want to get married or stay married. Amen. Immature people always make it about them. Well, you don't know what they did, and you don't know what they did. It's not about you. And I told this person that. It's not about you. You need to repent. You need, you need to repent for not doing right. You need to repent. Well, pastor, do they like that? No, the flesh doesn't like to be told. And when I say the flesh, the, the soul does not like to be told, you need to change. <laughs> right? But Paul says, Paul says the goal of the Christian life is progress, right? Notice verse 14 says what will happen is that we henceforth or from now on out be no more children. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every slight of man and every wind of doctrine. Now the focus is often on the wrong doctrine. And, and there is wrong doctrine. But notice what he says will happen when somebody matures. They won't be carried about. The greatest defense against wrong doctrine is mature believers. And here's something to understand. That doesn't mean you're not mature based on length of time you've been saved. You are, matured, you are mature based on the progress you're making in your soul. Have you ever known somebody in the natural that was old enough that they shouldn't have been acting the way they were acting? Anybody besides me? <laughs> there was a preacher one time, and uh, they went to Israel. True story. They went to Israel. And, you know, in, in Israel, you can, you can find some things over there, you know, items, watches and jewelry and things that, that you know, uh, I mean, you can get them here, but you can get them there maybe at a little reduced rate or whatever. I don't know. But... Uh, 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 there was a, a, a man that was one of my, my dad's fathers in the faith. They were there on a tour bus, and, and they didn't know that this minister, their pastor, was uh, asleep in, in the bunk in the back. And uh, so this guy's on the bus with his wife, and this guy said all of a sudden he heard this man just pleading with his wife, Oh, please, honey, please, please let me get it. Oh, please, please, would you please? Amen. This 40-some-odd-year-old man. <laughs> he says, oh, man. 
But he, here's, here's my point. Should he have had to been doing that? No. Right? There's some reason that he wasn't allowed to spend any money. All right? Hallelujah. So somebody will say, well, I've been saved 25 years. So? Have you grown? Are you mature? Have you progressed past these levels of frustration and getting upset and getting offended? Because if I'm not growing past that, it doesn't matter if I've been saved 40 years. Amen. Length of time saved does not mean spiritual maturity. Hallelujah. Now it doesn't mean, I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't uh, discount that. Somebody that's been saved 35, 40 years, praise God. But, he, but here's the point. The fruit is what shows maturity or not. Hallelujah. Notice verse 15 of the same chapter. But speaking the truth in love, here's this phrase may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So Christ is the source that maturity comes from. Christ is the object or the goal of our growth, to be like Him. Remember that's what Paul said? He said, he said here's what I want. He said, I want to be found in Him not having my own righteousness, but the righteousness that's of faith, right? Paul said the goal was that we become like Christ. Is that right? Now, none of us will ever arrive there until the rapture. Because the Bible says when we see Him, right, we'll be known as we are known. But here, here's the point. We're... We might all be in process, but every day I'm working towards that goal of being like Christ. Is that right? So in order for me to grow there to that place, there has to be a cooperation between myself and God. There has to be a cooperation. Hallelujah. You know, years ago there was a, there was a, a movement, and I, maybe it's still around somewhat, uh, you know, everybody was wearing little bracelets, WWJD. You know, what would Jesus do? Well, that was from an old book that was written many years ago uh, called In His Footsteps. All right? And it was, it was about a minister, uh, a guy that, that was part of a, uh, 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 advertising for a newspaper. And the preacher ministered a message one day, what would Jesus do concerning these different things? And this man began to say, well, would Jesus solicit liquor advertising? Would Jesus? And, and you, you understand the concept. Well, I mean, I understand that, but that can become a slogan. And people will put that on what they call the big sins. But what would Jesus do about a thought that was critical of his brother? What would Jesus do about a judgmental idea? Well, we know he wouldn't participate <laughs> let me go over here what would Jesus do right <laughs> you understand 
We know he wouldn't participate in that because Scripture tells us to stay away from that. Jesus himself said, don't judge, don't criticize, don't produce censorious criticism against your brother. In other words, don't put yourself up as being the one qualified to judge. Is that right? So what would Jesus do about that thought? What would Jesus do about that? See, because maturity is this, is that I'm working to attain that level of status where I think like Christ. The mind of Christ is my goal. Amen. Philippians chapter 2. Well, you know, Pastor, but I have a right to my opinion. That is your soul trying to hang on to that little bit of carnality. Anytime you got to preface something with, I have a right, that's carnal. That's carnal. Amen. That's, that's carnal. Tell you what, you're not going to trample on my rights. That's carnal. It's, it's carnality. Anytime I've got to preface something with that, tell you what, I have a right to do this, I, I'll tell you. <laughs> Amen. Well, Pastor, that, that kind of hit me in my wheelhouse. I know, and, and none of us are there, but we've left the station. Isn't that good? <laughs> Philippians chapter 2. See, you got to watch those things because Jesus said, remember what Jesus said? That the, remember the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders, they got upset and Jesus said, why are you mad at my guys for? And they said, well, they, they, they eat without washing their hands. Has anybody ever done that? Thank you, right? Everybody's done it. And what did Jesus say? Remember what he said, the, the basic synopsis? He said, listen, listen, listen. Everything that goes in you, food-wise, eventually is expelled. Is that what he said? He said, but here's the thing. It's not what goes in you. It's not eating with unwashing hands that defiles a man. It's what comes out of the man. What did James say a mature man could do? Bridle his tongue. You see what I'm saying? And so when somebody says, well, I'll tell you what, I have a right to my opinion. I'm going to give my opinion. They're, they're showing their carnality because they can't bridle their tongue. If you cannot bridle your tongue, when it comes to those type of things, what is that carnality costing me? It means my spirit has not taken control. I've not allowed it to have control over what I say, what I think, or what I believe. Philippians 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, now much more in my absence. Notice, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God that worketh in you both the will and the do of His good pleasure. Work out your own salvation. It means work on the finish. Or carry out to the goal. 
Remember we saw in Ephesians 4, the goal is to be like Christ. The goal is to progress. The goal is to grow. Hallelujah. So Christ purchased our salvation, gave it to us as a free gift, but there's a part that I have to do if my salvation is to be completed. Because I made this statement earlier, only God can make us what we need to be. But only we can do the things we need to do. And notice it says, He works in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. So He'll give you the will and the ability. The word worketh there is the Greek word energio, E-N-E-R-G-E-O. And it means the energy of God or the vitality of God. So in other words, God doesn't just ask you to do something. He puts within you, He works in you. The ability to do it doesn't come from me alone. God will energize me to do it, but I've got to make the effort. Hallelujah. Amen. I've heard people over the years, I've, I've been doing this long enough to have heard this a few times. Well, I just can't forgive them. You can because God will put in you the desire to will and to do it. Or whatever the case may be. That's a, a, an elementary thing. But the point is, whatever God asks you to do in the Word, He works in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. But notice this. We work out our salvation. We bring it to completion. We carry it out to the goal. And notice how he says to do this. With fear and trembling. Hallelujah. Now I'm about to get into something that uh, uh, a lot of places recently have missed. And, and here is, is what it is. The word fear here is a reverence. But it's deeper than that. It's a caution. A caution. A vigilance. Being vigilant against temptation. It's, it's not a terror, but a serious caution. In other words... He's saying, as you walk out and work out your salvation, be cautious. Be vigilant about your life. Amen. Peter used the word vigilant in reference to the devil. Be sober, be vigilant because you have an adversary. Paul here says, where your salvation is concerned, be cautious. Be cautious. You don't hear that a lot today. Well, you know, I mean, I mean I'm saved, and after all, God's grace covers everything, so you know, hey. Well, that flies in the face of Paul saying, work out your own salvation. Whenever you teach people that because every word, now, now think about this for a moment. I think I've shown you plainly from Scripture over the last eight eight sermons that salvation for your spirit was a done fact the moment you confess Jesus as the Lord of, your, uh, Lord of your life. But then Paul said there's things I've got to do. When you take the doing out of salvation, not the doing for salvation, 
When you take the doing out of salvation, you relegate people to spiritual immaturity. Because there's things I've got to do. And he said, I've got to work out my salvation. I've got to bring it to completion. Meaning, I've got to work it out till it covers every part of my life. And he said, the way I do this is being cautious. Being cautious. Being vigilant against certain things. I talked about the denomination I was raised in. You know, we didn't go to the movies and that we didn't have TV in our house. I'm not saying all those things were bad things. I, I, still, I, I still don't go to the movies. I, I, just my, my opinion. But the point that I'm making is, is that was an attempt, especially in the beginning, to work out their salvation. To be cautious with their salvation. I remember sitting one time with a friend of mine in his house and he was showing me his new theater system and he had a theater room and, and he was showing it to me and he put in a movie and, and uh, uh, when the movie came on, we'd, we'd been watching a couple minutes and, and he said, oh, this is my favorite movie in the world and we'd been watching it two or three minutes and all of a sudden, uh, the guy used the Lord's name in vain. People say, what'd you do? I got up and left. I mean, I, listen, I've made a million mistakes. I've, I've, I told you, I, you know, I'm, you're not the only one that's ever been carnal. But here's something I made a decision a long time ago. If I'm watching the show and they cuss, it's gone. Why? Be, be, because I need to be cautious with what I'm allowing in my soul. Because my soul can only pull out of the archives what I have filed there. Right? And when, I, when I'm not cautious with what's going in there, Mm. And so we have, we have a whole generation that's been taught there's nothing you need to do. The grace of God covered it all. We're under grace. We're not under law. Works are irrelevant. That's not Bible. That's just not biblical. It's just not. We're doing good works. How are our works good? Because we're doing them because we're working out our salvation. You came to church today and did a good work. This is a work, and it's a good one. What, 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 what did you have to do to get here today? Now, I don't know that everybody did this, but you know, there, there might have been people that you thought, well, you know, I, my goodness, maybe you stayed up late or, or whatever the case may be. Or, or, you know, I mean, for instance, you know, I, I had to get up this morning. I know I'm the preacher, but, you know, <laughs> that still don't mean sometimes you think, boy, I wonder could somebody else preach this morning. But... In any event, the, the, the point is, is, you know, you get up and, and you got to, I get up early anyway, but then when you got a three-year-old, you got to get ready, four-year-old now, you got to get ready. I mean, it's, you know, you got to cook breakfast, you got to fix hair, you got to dress, and, and in between that time, you know, you got to stop at the Barbie house and make sure everybody's good in there, and, and, and you know, uh, uh, all the other multitude of things, you know what I'm talking about, uh, the other multitude, and yours is even on a deeper scale, you got a teenager. So, you understand? I mean, with Pastor Ron, it's, you know, you know, it's four or five trips to the mirror and make sure everything matches. And, and the Barbie house, yeah. Right? And so, here's, 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 here's my point. So, getting here was work. 
right? It was a work. But it was a good work. And you grow because of it. Hallelujah. But see, there, there are believers that they just live their life with no caution. And I said believers. They live their life with no caution. And people will often ask, well, are they saved? Well, Scripture says they are. But they're carnal. And the problem with carnality is I don't produce fruit. And the Bible says the goal, one of the goals of the Christian life is to produce fruit that glorifies the Father. Amen. Because an account will be given. For what did I do to bear fruit? Hallelujah. So this is something I have to do. What does that mean? I got to stay away from things that don't please God. Oh, no, Pastor, don't be legalistic. Listen, there's a difference between legalism and something being wrong. Is that right? I would never expect to see any of y'all down the road at the nightclub. Do you want to know why? Because it's wrong. Right? It's wrong. Right? You wouldn't expect to see me either, would you? No, because it's wrong. I don't, I don't need any other reason. If, if you saw a believer there and, and I stopped and I went in and said, hey, what are you doing here? They said, well, what's the big deal? It's wrong. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. You know what the scripture says? Amen. That, so there are, there are things that don't please God that we just don't get involved with. Oh, hallelujah. But I also stay away from attitudes and mindsets, activities that aren't pleasing to God. Right? Hallelujah. You know, I'm, I'm not political, I mean, overtly by any means, but here, here's the point. I mean, we spent a lot of time last year talking about the platforms that each respective party were built on. And we made it very plain. When you look at the platform of a specific party, there are things that you look at, and there are things, I say things on both sides, but, but, but it seemed to be on one side primarily that are just not godly. And you can't get behind that. As a mature Christian, you cannot get behind that. Why? Because it doesn't please God. That's not being cautious with your salvation. See, in, in, in any election, what a lot of believers are not aware of is your vote is your opinion. It's what you really believe. And I've had, I, I, I've had Christians say, well, you know, yeah, I mean, we vote that way, but I mean, we don't believe in this. Yes, you do, because your vote is what you really believe. Hallelujah. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. And you don't want, you know, nobody wants to be a hypocrite. 
You know, a hypocrite just isn't himself on Sunday morning. One guy said, you know what the definition of a hypocrite is? And I said, and, 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 the, and people said, well, what's that? And he said, that's the guy that complains about all the sex and nudity on his DVR. <laughs> he recorded it. Then he complained about it. Amen. Hallelujah. First Corinthians 10, verse 6. Now, these things were our examples. He's talking about the children of Israel. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Now, stop right there and look at the verse 1 of chapter 10. Moreover, brethren. Brethren. That we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them, as is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. But notice this, neither murmur, as some of them murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen to them for our examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Do you see that? There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man, but God's faithful will not suffer you to be tempted above your able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now notice, this man that thinks he stands is a believer that's not working out his salvation. With fear and trembling. He's not being cautious. He's not being cautious. He's riding the fence. And that's dangerous no matter how you look at it. Right? Riding the fence. God, notice this, this is so important because uh, I, I don't have time to get into this, but he mentions in verse 7, idolaters. Verse 8, fornicators. Verse 9, they tempted Christ. And verse 10, they murmured. Now there are believers that they don't have a problem with verse 7, verse 8, or verse 9, but they get down to verse 10, they pay no attention. Scripture says, neither murmur. So don't do it. Right? God won't allow us. Notice verse 13. He says, God will not allow us to be tempted above what we're able to bear. Now think about that. Put that with Philippians 2. He works in you the will. To do. He won't allow you to suffer above what you're able when you're tempted, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. What's my job? Take it. Is that what he said? Is that, is that true? Do you see that? He says in verse 14, Wherefore, in light of what I just said, flee from idolatry. So what was the biggest problem? Idolatry. And he said, there's a way out. God made a way out. Just take it. Right? Take the way of escape. Immaturity lays blame. Immaturity lays blame. How do I know that? Because I used to be immature, both physically and spiritually. I was the kind of person that I would come home from school and the principal would have called the house, and he did that quite often. 
And when I would get home, my mom would say, well, uh, Principal, uh, what was his name? Van, Mr. Van. Principal Van called, and he said, you did this. And I'd say, well, they said I did. <laughs> right? I mean, right? Somebody could have saw me doing it. And I was like, well, they said I did. Lay in blame. Or, well, I did, but. You know the problem with that? Is it doesn't matter why you did, you did. Is that right? See, this is not passing my time. This is not working out my salvation with caution. Hallelujah. Immaturity blames others, blames circumstances for failures. Hallelujah. I, I, get, I really get, I have to watch it because I don't like to, to use that word. But it bothers me when a minister will fail or fall into some immorality and the first thing he does is blame the pressure of the ministry. Well, you know, I've been so busy in the ministry. It's a cop-out. It's a cop-out. Every minister that's doing anything for God has pressure and is busy. Amen. The, 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 well, there's only four weeks in January. I started to say the first four weeks in January. There's only four. Every week in January. I was home long enough to change clothes, repack a bag, and leave again. But I try to use Jesus and the Apostle Paul in particular as my example. And never once do you see Paul talk about pressure bringing him over into immorality. He faced more pressure than any of us ever will. And he never fell into sin. He never backslid. He never quit. Right? Because that's just an excuse. If I'm being cautious... How, how is a minister cautious? You stay prayed up. You stay full of the Holy Ghost. You pray in tongues every day. You stay in the Word. You charge yourself up like a battery. You don't let your evil be spoken, your good be spoken evil of. You set up boundaries, safeguards, parameters. Are you with me? And what happens? Isn't it, isn't it funny? You stay clean. Hallelujah. Right? Or the devil. Oh, you know, well, the devil got me. Well, I mean, I understand that. I understand we have an adversary, the devil, and I understand that, that he'll do things. The enemy will come in like a flood, but the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord raised up a standard against him. Well, he's been throwing them fiery darts, and the Bible says if you raise up the shield of faith, it'll quench every one of them. Yeah, but he's been fighting me. Yeah, but the Bible said if you'd resist him, he'd flee from you. I... See, there's something I've got to do. The enemy does what he does. We do what we do. And what we do overcomes what he does. Amen? Remember what Paul said? He said in Ephesus, that if, if, when he wrote to the church at Ephesus and wrote Timothy from there, he said, he said, I fought wild beast at Ephesus. And he said, at my first time, he said, nobody stood with me, but the Lord helped me. The Lord helped me. Amen. What, 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 what does that mean? 
It means if the Lord is helping you and you're receiving that help, you're going to be all right. Amen. Oh, glory. Oh, Lord, help me. Give me the tongue of the learned to get this done in 10 minutes. <laughs> the people Paul is describing blame God or Moses for everything they went through. They never grew up. They never matured. And consequently, God could not take them where he wanted to take them. There are places that God wants to take people that it requires maturity. You can't go there if you're not mature. You can't go there if you're not growing, if you're not spiritual. Amen. Look, look, look back at Philippians 2. Philippians 2, because you, you, you see this word here in verse 10 of chapter 10, murmur. And then Paul says something in Philippians 2, in verse 14, uh, do all things without murmurings or disputings. Do you see this? Murmurings in the Septuagint, uh, this word is used over and over again for the murmurings of the children of Israel. Murmurings. It means a secret debate, a secret displeasure, not openly avowed. Hallelujah. Well, why, why is that important? Because it presents an idea of two-facedness. One way to a person's face, and secretly you're complaining. Yeah, Pastor, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, according to Scripture, there is. Grown folk don't do that. Right? Hallelujah. You know, my mother used to say this. She'd say, if you can't say it to someone's face, don't say it at all. If you can't say what you're thinking, don't think it. Amen. Well, I don't want to be a person without a filter. Better to be without a filter than carnal. And the more you defeat your carnality, the bigger filter you'll get. Because you realize things, some things don't mean anything. Amen. Let me hurry. Deuteronomy 1.27, you don't have to go there, but it says they grumbled, they murmured in their tent. In their tents. So they murmured at home. Amen. Mature people don't grumble behind someone's back. That's part of working out our salvation. Part of growing up. Part of growing up. Hallelujah. Murmuring is one of the main things that stopped the children of Israel from entering into the promised land. Three times in Exodus, we're told they murmured. Three times in Numbers, we're told they murmured. Hallelujah. Then he says, without murmurings or disputings. Disputing, with this word, we see the importance of renewing our soul because this word means the thinking of a man deliberating with himself. The thinking of a man deliberating with himself or a thought or an inward reasoning. So according to Paul, we're to do all things in our lives or live our lives without murmuring or without disputing, without grumbling secretly, without disputing inwardly. That's an issue of character. And, and for a church to reach a city, 
there has to be character at the core of that body. Because you can't, you can't move past your character. Hallelujah. That one of the big demarcations that marked my pastor's ministry and still does is character. Character. When, when you read his biography, his, uh, 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 oh, what's the word I'm looking for? When you read the, uh, uh, the bio in, in the, the Word Study Bible that Harrison House put out a number of years ago, Pastor did the commentary in there on, on protection. And when you read his bio, in the bio it says he travels the world and his messages reveal the character of God and Christ to the people. Over and over again, the message of character. In his book, Saving Our Cities, he said, you cannot hope to reach a city if your character is deficient. So character is at the bedrock of everything that we do. Amen. Well, Pastor, I see where I've missed it. Well, thank God the Bible says if you repent that, that it all turns around. Don't, don't get condemned. Just change it. If it's there, just change it. Amen. There's an old saying that should have been in the Bible. It's not, but you know, there's no use crying over spilt milk. I mean, what's done is done. All you can do is change it. Hallelujah. Well, I haven't been growing. Yeah, but you're here today, so you started. Right? Oh, hallelujah. So it takes maturity. It takes skill to get your soul to this place. Hallelujah. Look, let's look at one last scripture. 1 Corinthians 9. I'm, I'm not done, but I'm going to stop. Hallelujah. Uh, verse 24. Paul says, Do you not know that they that run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? Notice what he says. Run that you may obtain. Obtain what? The prize. And every man that strives for the mastery, notice that word, mastery, is temperate in all things. No, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but you an incorruptible. I run, therefore, not as uncertainly so fight I, not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. So notice the goal here is mastery. The goal is mastery. And that word mastery, it's interesting what it means. It means to fight, to labor, to fervently strive. So what's that telling us? You don't obtain the mastery without striving, without putting forth an effort. Right? So I don't grow, I don't mature, I don't progress without putting in some effort. What Brother Hagin used to say, you're just not going to float through life on flowery beds of ease. Right? You got to put forth some effort. I got to tell my mind what it's going to do. I've got to tell my thoughts what they're going to think. Because your mind is your mind. Amen. And I've had people say, well, you know, my mind is just telling me I'm anxious. Tell your mind you're not anxious. Now, I know that, that there are people that would have a problem with that. Oh, don't tell somebody they're not anxious. Don't tell them. Don't tell them not to be depressed. What am I supposed to tell them? Go get some more Xanax. Just medicate and you'll be okay. Now, I don't have anything against medication, but what I'm trying to explain to you is spiritual maturity is you taking control of your mind and saying, we're not going that road no more. We're overcoming. We're not doing that. 
Amen. So Paul says it's the mastery. Now, he said in this striving, we are to be temperate. To be temperate means to exhibit self-governance. Hallelujah. The figure here is athletes that are preparing themselves for the athletic games. They've abstained from unwholesome food, wine, and other things. Why? Because they want to be temperate. To be temperate is not external holiness that there's no power in. To be temperate, this temperance is produced as my soul is kept under the power of my spirit. And then he says, I keep under my body. That keep under, in, in the Greek it says, like a boxer, one buffets his body or handles it roughly or disciplines it by hardships. Now that's not sickness, disease, poverty, destruction. That's You're making it hard on your flesh. It could be something as simple as, we're not watching that show. I'm in charge. Right? And I'm not watching it. Now that may not be a problem for you. But whatever it is. Amen. Remember how, how you say, well, I'm just going to give them a piece of my mind. No, I'm not going to do that. Two reasons. It's wrong and I've given enough pieces away. <laughs> but I like this. Metaphorically, it means to give one intolerable annoyance. So Paul says we are to annoy our flesh. To beat one out or to wear one out. So, so that means that that carnal nature can be at such a position that I just got to wear it out. And then he said I bring it under subjection to lead away into slavery. Now here's one. To treat as a slave or a servant, subject to stern and rigid discipline. Stern and rigid discipline. Now think about that. Paul says, if I do that, I'll keep my body, my faculties under. Amen. I heard one man say something one day. If you're going to discipline yourself to reach your goals, you can never have a day where there's an exception. I heard another man say this, when you compromise anything one time, the next compromise is right around the corner. When you get up one day and you say, okay, so I don't, I don't need to discipline this today, and I don't, the next compromise is right around the corner. Because here's what I've learned about, about, about the soul. Here's what I've learned about the emotions. I don't know everything. I don't claim to. But here's what I've learned thus far is that when, when you give your carnal nature, when you give it an opportunity in some area, it's not just going to go, okay, I'm satisfied. Proverbs says, just like death and destruction are never full, the eyes of man are never satisfied. It'll always want something more. And that's why Paul said, you put to death, mortify the deeds of your body. And he said, on this earth. And then he named them. Hallelujah, what would be the result of that? Mature, spiritual, full-grown Christians. Amen? Isn't that good? Let's stand up, everybody. Praise the Lord. 
Hallelujah. And you know, everything we've talked about today is just a decision of your will. I'm just going to decide to do it. Amen. Because the Bible says when you make that decision, God will energize you. God will empower you. You'll make it. Hallelujah. So, Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the manifestation of the Spirit of God upon the Word of God. Father, we realize that the preaching, the teaching of the Word is the moving of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for it. We thank you that we are growing into mature manhood. And, Father, that we are progressing in the things of God. And we thank you that because you love us so much, you've given us the ability to walk this out. And, Father, we praise you for it. In the name of Jesus, we thank you in Jesus' name.